Welcome to the Centre for Independent Studies podcast, What You Need to Know. Today, CIS Research Director Simon Cowan is going to outline eight things you need to know about the pension age being raised. Simon, the Australian pension age has just been raised to 67, and as you've pointed out in an opinion piece this week, this is the first general increase in the pension age since it was introduced about 113 years ago in 1909. Why has this increase happened now after all that time? Well, the biggest driver of change has been that people are now living far longer and spending far more time in retirement than they used to. When the pension age was first introduced back in 1909, it was set at 65 for men and 60 for women. But the life expectancy in those days was almost 10 years below the pension age. And what we saw across time through to the early 1970s was the life expectancy at birth slowly rising up and then and then exceeding the pension age um, by 1971 that had by 15 years. It's worth noting that much of that increase was actually due to uh, finding vaccines and better treatments for childhood illness. So it's not so much that you know everyone would expect to die at 55 or whatever it was, um, but that you know people in general live longer. But the, the relevant issue for for age pension policy is your life expectancy at the point you reach retirement age. And from 1909 through to the 1970s, um, life expectancy in retirement was pretty well constant, was about 10 years for men, 11 years for men, and, and about 14 or 15 years for women. Uh, but what we saw from the 70s in particular is this rise in life expectancy at age 65 to the point where now for men, uh, with the pension age at 65, life expectancy is almost 20 years. For women, um, it's 22 years. And that means that people are spending almost twice as long in retirement. Um, much of that period of time is actually healthy, um, active life too. It's not that we've extended out the end of life period. We've made people more active and healthy and in retirement. And what this has meant is that, that it's put an enormous pressure on the cost of the age pension to uh, fund people in retirement. So we're seeing moves, uh, this one was started in 2017, but we're seeing moves to increase the pension age. So it's actually good news for people in that they are living longer, they're living healthier, but it's what you're saying is it's bad news for the economy unless we can find a way off the pension, because th that's one of the economic impacts of this demographic change, obviously. Well, it's not bad news for the economy. It's bad news for the budget, and that is a different thing. So what we have as a result of this increase in the number of workers reaching retirement age, um, increase in eligibility for the pension, when the pension was first introduced, about 30% of people were eligible for it. Now it's up to about seven in 10. Uh, so what we're seeing is this massive pressure on the age pension as a result of these demographic changes. But the fact that people are living longer, working longer, being healthy, spending, that's good for the economy. It's just bad for the budget. So you've said that while the average number of workers supporting each retiree was seven in the early 1970s, it's going to soon fall to well below three people supporting each retiree. So what happens when there aren't enough workers to support the population of pensioners? I mean, where will the government find the money for pensions? So 
This demographic shift has been coming for a long time. It's first outlined in some of the early intergenerational reports that Peter Costello introduced. And some of our listeners may not have been alive when Costello was treasurer, I suppose. Uh, but what we're seeing is that uh, the number of people who are in the workforce and paying taxes uh, relative to the number of people in retirement is falling. It was, it was at a high give or take of, of seven in the early 70s. It's currently four or so. It'll soon fall to three and below. Um, by the mid-2050s, it's predicted. And, and the, the end result of this is that each of the people who are in employment, people who are working, will soon be paying more money to fund other people's retirements and they'll be paying to fund their own. Now, there are demographic consequences of that, I think, as well. Um, but there are social consequences too, and whether or not people who are in work, who are paying taxes, who aren't able to secure a home, who don't feel like these benefits will be available when they reach retirement, they're probably not going to be particularly happy to pay ever increasing amounts of tax to fund extra years in retirement for the people who have kept them out of the housing market. I can well imagine. So why isn't our superannuation system, which has been going for some decades now, why isn't that set up to be building enough support for retirees so that the spending on pensions can reduce over time? Well, there's a number of different reasons why that hasn't happened. I mean, at least in part, it's because the superannuation system is a one-size-fits-all model, and so it takes a certain percentage of income from everyone, and that percentage is the same, rather than being flexible and responding to what people's needs in retirement are. I think we've also seen moves, at least for the last 15 years, to continually undermine the ability to build wealth in superannuation, increasing taxes, reducing balances, changing the rules again and again and again with the aim of drawing money out of the superannuation system. But ultimately the problem is that, that our retirement system is not particularly well set up to deliver independence in retirement. It's actually built around people being on the age pension, receiving government support and using superannuation to supplement their lifestyle rather than to replace the age pension. And as you pointed out in a previous paper, uh, the age-old problem of the age pension, some of those people could actually be supporting themselves if some policies were changed. Yes, yeah, so if you were to include the family home in the assets, pension assets test and, and introduce methods to enable people to withdraw some of the equity they've built up in their home and that would have a material impact on people's living standards in retirement. Of course, that's a very unpopular suggestion. <laughs> Um, interestingly enough, most of the people who have found that unpopular are people who are counting on bequests from elderly parents rather than people whose living standards would be increased. Um, you can make of that what you will. But at the end of the day, what we need to be doing as a society, it's not just about the pension age or, or, or any one lever. It's about encouraging people to be self-sufficient in retirement, to take care of their own standard of living, to continue working until they've reached a point where they can maintain their own living standards rather than a system that encourages everyone to be dependent on government and the government to find new ways of taking money to make that dependence financially viable. So in effect, just raising the pension age isn't going to really solve the problems that we're facing, is it? Well, so raising the pension age will do something to impact this problem, although there's a, another issue of complexity in relation to this is that 
um, while ever the pension age increases and the age at which you can access your superannuation remains the same, people get encouraged to retire early, live on their superannuation for a couple of years and then move to the age pension. So we, we still have that problem and the eligibility age for super has increased but it's not aligned to the pension age. Um, and you could argue that as living standards continue to increase, we should be aligning the pension age with those living standards and those that, that um, age level. So rather than a one-off raise, make a mechanism to keep it going. Uh, but ultimately the system as a whole needs to work together. Um, the age pension is one component of that system. Superannuation is another. Uh, another component of it is aged care. And we've seen in recent years a massive increase in costs, uh, costs which are continuing to increase and will continue to increase substantially. Each one of those components adds to the pressure on taxpayers um, and it creates that, that intergenerational tension where we see um, people who are working today, particularly people in their, young in their younger life, in 30s and 20s, don't think that any of these benefits will be available to them when they retire. They think they're just paying for other people and when it's uh, time for them to get those benefits, the drawbridge will be pulled up in front of them. They will have evaporated. So with those people working today as well, uh, circling back to the actual rise in the pension age, what about those people who work in fairly hard labour jobs, you know, that tote that bar, lift that bale? Are they going to be wanting to be digging ditches and toting bars and lifting bales into their late 60s? Well, so interestingly enough, the evidence actually suggests that people who are working in manual labour do continue to work into their 50s and 60s. Obviously, some of them can't, but it's not universally true that they can't. Of course, that doesn't necessarily mean that they should be forced to do so. And I think the system can be set up to enable those who can't work um, to leave the system to um, get on, for example, a disability pension rather than an age pension, but also having that support. But what we have seen in Europe in particular, and this was a massive issue in, in Greece, for example, um, in the lead up to the financial crisis, is that we had this enormous list of, of so-called arduous professions, things like being a trombonist, for example, which <laughs> entitled you to retire 10 years or more below retirement age and receive a government funded pension. And so creating a lower retirement age for certain jobs, um, certain categories, particularly unionised jobs in the current environment, is likely just to result in more lobbying to expand those categories and lower those, those ages as a way of, of creating more equity in retirement. And I think that would be a mistake. I hadn't thought of a trombonist as being a physically arduous job, but perhaps trombonists out there would disagree with me. So oh, we'll get all the hate mail from them now, of course. <laughs> but. Uh, so the other, the other issue is with senior workers is that there is a stigma uh, commonly held that senior workers are past their best and they, they feel that there's some ageism when they apply for jobs. How can we overcome that if people are going to stay in the workforce longer? Well, it's probably a fair point, right? So there's a fair bit of evidence to suggest that workers who lose their jobs in their 50s and their 60s struggle to re-enter the workforce. That's particularly true of women, um, especially women who haven't had a, a sort of permanent working life pattern. So, you know, people who have taken time out of the workforce often find it harder to get back into their workforce. And there is a perception, not universally held, but there's certainly a perception that, that workers in their 50s and 60s are really just looking for that extra step to retirement rather than, than seeking to um, 
genuinely contribute to uh, an employment position or, or work for the longer term. I think these attitudes are already starting to change. We're seeing already, um, firstly, that older workers are far more common, especially workers um, in not manual positions, but certainly workers in the knowledge workforce. Um, it, it's far more common for people who are working into their 70s. Um, people who have their own businesses often work that time. And we also see that retirees are far more active than they were in generations past. And so the, the culture of society is shifting somewhat away from this idea that once you retire, you basically go and sit in a room until you die. Um, so I think uh, on the whole, we're seeing that, that attitude change. It's changing slowly. It's changing piecemeal as these things often do but what we'll probably see I think over time particularly as we continue to see some of these cost of living pressures as we continue to see things like the age pension increase um, and the cost of it increase that, that there'll be an expectation that people will continue to work for longer and, and with that expectation will come an understanding that, that older workers do provide value that's worth um, keeping in the workforce. Wonderful. Thank you Simon. If listeners would like to know more about the economic cost of the pension, they can look at the excellent research report written by Simon and our CIS colleague Matthew Taylor, The Age-Old Problem of Old Age, and Simon's other paper, The Myths of the Generational Bargain. We'll be back soon explaining what you need to know about the key developments in Australia. 